be seated. Thank you, Bodie. Last weekend, we talked to, to you about dreaming God's dream and setting goals around it. Dreaming God's dream and setting goals around it. I asked you to consider what God's dream is for your life. I have a kind of a personal uh, proverb, and it's, it comes from the life of Joseph. God has a dream for you that you yourself haven't imagined that he has a plan for you, that you've never really seen the, the, the episodes of yet. How do you dream God's dream and set goals around it? And the next, the next uh, uh, several weeks are going to be designed around dreaming God's dream and setting goals around seven different areas of your life. And I know that when I, when I set a goal, that I've, I've got to be uh, kind of... Uh, having what I call a Popeye moment. You remember remember those series, uh, those those Popeye episodes, for those of you that are in your late 30s, mid 40s, or maybe near death, <laughs> that you remember those those moments when olive oil got, you know, was being bullied, and Popeye said, I can't stands it, I can't stands it, I can't stands it no more. And I know that when I, when I sit down and I'm ready to set a goal, it's because I've found something I can't stand. And it, it just compels me to really prayerfully think about what I can do that will put me or my family in a better position. Years ago, I remember um, staying up late one night with my smartphone, doing the math on what it would take to be physically fit. And I, I just figured that if I reached for a certain goal, motivated by one of my friends actually, that it's possible that my body actually would change and that, uh, that my doctor would be really happy and I'd be happy. I had no idea how happy my doctor would be. It, it totally, he was like, what are you doing? And uh, it, it was just a great kind of net result of a Popeye moment. I remember I had an opportunity uh, through Adventure to go through a series called Crown Financial, where I was challenged with this idea of making certain that if I was ever out of the picture in my home, not only would the dishes not get done, but, but that the family, that's about my only duty, but I wanted to make certain my family would be taken care of. And so I made a decision 10 years ago that I wanted to make certain my family was going to be in a good position financially. I couldn't stand for my family not to be in a good, uh, you know, uh, God forbid situation where they weren't cared for. And so I set a goal. I remember as a, as a 20-something, my wife and I had gotten married, and I, tend to, I tended at that time to be kind of a half-full half guy. The cup is half-full. Uh, the glass is half full, could be kind of sullen, kind of tended to be kind of depressed at age 20. And I'll never forget what my southern wife told me outside of our little condo. Actually, it was a trailer on the campus of Bible College. She said, you know what? You need to stop thinking about yourself. I was like, well, what do I think about? (laughs) I just was caught in that mental uh, self over self-awareness that's not healthy. And she just stuck it to me like a good southerner. And it 
it literally changed my thinking. And I started thinking about uh, more noble thoughts. I started thinking about her and putting her first. And it moved me out of that mud of overly over self-absorption. That was able to really help me. I don't know where you're at in your own journey, but I want to suggest that we all tend to kind of wander away from our, our uh, fitness goals. We wander away from our financial goals. We wander away from um, our uh, educational goals, and uh, we're like sheep. We're like sheep. And the Bible describes sheep as uh, going astray. You don't have to, t- have to tell a sheep, hey, your job is to go astray. They're gifted at it. Sheep voluntarily will walk into a den of wolves. Uh, they don't, they're not real sharp. Uh, they'll gladly run off a cliff. And we're told from Holy Writ that we all like, are like sheep who've gone astray. It's within our disposition to go astray. And the next few weeks are going to be designed to help you um, get on track and maybe even dream God's dream and set some goals around that track. And what it's going to mean is transformation. And transformation uh, and the key of transformation doesn't start with your actions. It doesn't start with your behavior it's, it doesn't start with your body. It doesn't even start with your will. Transformation, unique to Christianity, starts with your mind. If you can change the way you think, it will change the way you feel. And if you change the way you feel, it'll change the way you act. We're going to look at all seven major areas of your life in the next few weeks. And we're going to ask you to change your thinking about those areas. Our series is based on a passage of Scripture I would like you to try to memorize. Here it is. Uh, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We want you to think about These seven areas of your life, the way Jesus himself would want you to think about them. And this morning, I want to, in a sentence, tell you the direction we're going is this. Transformation says to Jesus, make me. Make me who you want to make me, instead of give me. Transformation says to Jesus, hey, you make me, you transform me into the person, into the spouse, into the mom into the dad, into the employee, into the supervisor, into the neighbor, into the, into the fitness-aware person, into the friend you want to make me. I don't require that you give me anything more than forgiveness and the power of your spirit to become the person I need to become. You make me. You make me stand in this hour to become the person you want me to be. That's what I need from you, Lord. That's the challenge for this week. And I want to ask you to join me. I'm going to read a very familiar passage, but maybe expose some things you've never seen in it. It's only recorded by the physician, the family doctor of the Apostle Paul, who captured a comprehensive eyewitness account of Jesus' ministry, Dr. Luke. If you have a Bible, open it to Luke chapter 15. We're going to see this story that features... The four steps that you got to take 
if you're going to let Jesus make you and you're going to transform. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to be in, start in verse 11. If you were able to get your transformed workbook, you can use the notes section to take notes on today's message. Here's the passage. You'll want to look in this passage as I read it to you. Look or listen for the characterization of this father. This is one of very few times where Jesus, from an anecdote, describes his father or a, an excellent example of a father. Here it is. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back. To my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. From this story, we gain really the four things you need to have to draw closer to God. And you may be Uh, You may be walking closer to the Lord than you ever have today. You may be like, you know what? I'm so exhausted today. I don't even know where I'm at. Where's the coffee? Others of you might be, you know, you feel way, 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 way distanced from the Lord. Others are here. Maybe you missed services for the last week or two. You feel a little disconnected from the Lord. There may be some of you that have been praying prayers where it feels like you're praying into an empty room. And still some that just want to go deeper in your relationship with God. I want to help you with the spiritual arena of your walk with Jesus. And you, if you have one of our workbooks or are without one, my challenge is that you would set a goal in your spiritual life to be achieved, a measurable goal in your spiritual life to be achieved in the next uh, three months. You heard the narrative. You you heard that the younger son squandered his wealth. He had spent everything. And his older brother details this later in the story on wild living, especially with women. And he longed to fill his stomach. No one would give him anything. No one cared for him. He came to his senses. Now, you, you have to understand, for a Hebrew, for him to be... Uh, longing for the food that 
sows or pigs eat is about as low as it gets for a kosher Hebrew or Jew. Firstly, a Hebrew is not even to touch a pig. He's longing for the food pigs are eating. This guy is having a bad moment. He's, he is breaking down. And let me just say that it's not unusual, because God loves you so much, for him to allow circumstances to really cause you to come to your senses, to allow a storm to come your direction, for a recession to impact you in a way that will help you come to your senses and bring the best out of you. He's a Jew. He wakes up and he realizes, this is ridiculous. I, I can eat better at home as one of my dad's employees. What am I doing here? This is stupid. Seriously? And he starts to reason to himself that he's willing to trust his dad to, to make that statement, make me. I'm, I'm willing to surrender because he's fed up with his life. I'm fed up. That's the first step of transformation. You've got to be fed up you're feeling stressed this morning, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm fed up. I'm just fed up right now, okay? Don't ask me why. I'm fed up. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, okay? Okay? I'm too stressed out. I'm too lonely. I'm too depressed. I'm overworked and busy and underpaid. We should maybe throw that in. And I don't like the life I'm living now. And besides that, we can't afford lunch today, so it's not feeling very good. I don't know where you're at, but the first step in drawing closer to God, evidenced by this younger son, is to be fed up, to have a Popeye moment. I can't stand this anymore. And what I want to encourage you with is this. God loves you so much that sometimes he'll send a storm, he'll send a rain to get your attention. He'll allow it to get your attention because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to go down the wrong path and not maximize your gifts, not maximize your, uh, your, your personality and, and pr- your gift profile. He'll get your attention. And boy, does God know how to get our attention. He got Moses' attention. Moses had anger issues. He got Moses' attention and sent him to a desert for 40 years. He got Paul, who was really a first century terrorist. He got Paul's attention by blinding him. Uh, He got uh, uh, David's attention by disciplining him. He he will get your attention because he loves you. In fact, I often will tell people, if you're going down a pathway that God is concerned about, let me tell you, don't worry, he'll follow up. I probably say this to my sons more than anybody else. God will follow up. He loves you. When you're in a love relationship with God, the scripture says that he'll, he'll, he'll pursue you and he'll discipline you because he loves you. You're his son. What, what child uh, has a father that doesn't discipline him? That's, that's an indicator that that child is loved. And so if you're going on a pathway that could be self-inflicting, he will follow you, his spirit will follow you and and help get your attention because he loves you so much. And this guy got desperate. He came to his senses. He said, I'm fed up with this. I don't want to go on anymore. And 
you may be at a place in your life where you're hungry, you're desperate, you're getting anxious for change, you're at a great place to take a step. Be fed up. Be fed up with your feeling distanced from God and make the decision to move closer to Him. It's wonderful. Secondly, he owned up. He owned up. This younger brother came to his senses, as I mentioned, and he prescripted what he, he was going to write to his dad. Now, no doubt many of you will prescript, maybe on your smartphone or on a note, how you're going to wordsmith a tough conversation. Maybe it's a tough conversation with a child, with your spouse, with your supervisor, with a neighbor, with a friend. You'll script it. You, words matter, right? We get that. Well, he wordsmiths this conversation before he ever has it with his dad. And he says, Dad, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Wouldn't that be a nice thing for a dad to hear at home? <laughs> wow, you're forgiven. Take the car. <laughs> he, though, the path I think Jesus is trying to emphasize is that he owned up for his uh, mistake. He, he said, my bad, my foul. He says, in other words, I've been, I've been living it, living my way. I've been doing things the way I see fit. I'm doing things for my own benefit, my own perspective. I'm tired and tired of the residual effects of trying to be the general manager of my life. I'm tired of trying to keep things together. I'm tired of trying to be in control. I am willing to really own this, to own up and trust in your grace to get me through. I'm just tired of it. And he confesses and he comes to his dad. This is very similar to how one of the well-known, most respected people of the Bible approached God. It was David, who is described like no one other. I mentioned him last week as having a heart after God. He would do whatever the Lord asked of him. And yet, like all of us, he messed up, requiring him to own up. He, he, for six months, he had been guilty of having an affair. No one caught him except the Lord. And to try to cover it up, he had the spouse of the woman with whom he committed adultery, had him positioned in battle so that uh, he would uh, suffer and die as a casualty in war. And finally, a prophet came to him, Nathan, the prophet, and just said, hey, what's going on? He tells him this story. Six months between the affair and this story, he tells him this story about the hardships of this uh, this. Um, low-income owner of a sheep and how he lost this sheep to some richer guy. And David was perturbed. I can't believe of that kind of injustice. And the Nathan looks at him and says, you're the guy. <laughs> and he had to own up. That's what I meant. God, God loves you enough that if you're going down a pathway where you're separating yourself from God, the Bible says God doesn't separate from us. We step back from him. If you're going down that pathway, that he's gonna, he's gonna, he loves you enough, he's going to leave the 99 sheep and go after you. And that's what he did with David. And David had to own up. And there's nothing more freeing than owning up, than, than saying, hey, my, my bad. It's so freeing. I've done it multiple times. Um, and it, it's so freeing. 
And David prays this prayer. He says in Psalm 51 to God, after being responsible for taking the life and family from, of one of his soldiers, he said, have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Maybe your step today is there's something going on that's owning you. And you just need to own up on it and say, God, I just want to confess that is leading me away from you. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Oh, so nice. Seriously, the best. What's awesome is if you've got a friend that you can talk to and provide a little bit more clarity to. Gals, if you can connect with another gal and guys, uh, another guy. Guys, we don't do this very well. So I, I think that the goal that we want to set, maybe you set this in your, in your workbook, your spiritual goal is to start the habit of a spiritual checkup a couple times a year where you hang out with a buddy that you trust and just say, hey, I'd like you to keep me in your prayers in this area. You know, this is a challenge for me. Keep me in your prayers in this area. It's so great to have that in your life. And that's it. You, conversation can be over. You move on. But I, I want to see you get, have a spiritual checkup opportunity because you're a new creation. This is this week's scripture memory verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you maintain a relationship with his father that is similar and parallel to the relationship this younger son has with his dad. All things are new. You've owned up because you were fed up. You're, you're before him and uh, there's, there's reason to celebrate. Do you need to own up this week for something? Use this series. Use your, your journal notes to own up. This, this fellow really not only owned up, he was very willing to personally say to Jesus, hey, you make me. It's no longer give me. Remember that word that he spoke in, in verse 12. He said to his dad, hey, give me. Give me what's mine. I'm packing my bags. I'm out of here. I'm going to separate myself from this family as far as possible. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to Vegas where what happens there stays there. Lie. And, and I'm out of here. I'm going to Sunset Boulevard. That's where I'm going to do life. I'm, I'm sick of this. And he comes back to his dad, and instead of saying, give me my share of the estate, he says, Father, make me one of your hired men. Can you imagine that? Father, make me one of your hired men. Reminds me of that psalm, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. I just want to be close to you, Dad. I just, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to live out in the barn. I just want to be here. That is what it means to offer up. And sometimes we have challenges at work. We have challenges in marriage. We have challenges with our finances. We have challenges with our, uh, our own health. And we, the step towards transformation is, God, hey, I'm here to offer up. You got me. Take me. I'm your servant. 
I'm, I'm willing to do what you say. Just like Mary, the mother of Jesus, be it done to me as you have said. I am your servant. That's, that's a lot for a 14-year-old. Be it done to me as you have said. I am your servant. That kind of posture is the kind of posture that facilitates transformation. That's saying to Jesus, make me, no longer give me. You change me. He was willing to offer up himself to his father. Make me like one of your hired men. I'm not saying give me, give me, give me anymore, dad. I get it. He comes back saying, make me. When your heart moves from self-centered to God-centeredness, that's transformation. And in the next In the next 49 days, we're challenging you to set goals in seven areas of your life. Spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, and vocational. And when you set a goal, you want it to be measurable. We're asking you to set three-month goals. And set goals, I would challenge you, when you set a goal, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, where are you leading me? Holy Spirit, where would you like to see me go? Holy Spirit, you give me a goal that without your help, I couldn't do. Now, be realistic. If you're, you know, trying to make the NFL draft, I think they're in the sixth or fifth round right now. You might not make that. But set a goal that you sense God's Spirit is leading you towards. It'll bring the best out in you. Ask Him audibly, orally. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to set? What kind of goal do you want me to set? And you can write these goals in this workbook or even, even on your Bible. Tell someone. Tell someone the goals you're setting. And then we're asking you tomorrow to start with us 49 days of devotions in this journal. 49 days of devotions. And all week long, the devotions speak to your spiritual sector of your life. We want to challenge you to, to go through these. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I read through them last week. I think you can go through them in five minutes to an hour. Just depends on how much time you have to set aside. What's the most puzzling about this passage is this son comes back and he, he's fed up. He owns up. He offers up. And he comes to his dad and his dad responds with such compassion. The father's response, while well, he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Quick, he said, bring the best robe, bring the best ring, bring the best shoes, bring the fattened calf. I wish I could be a dad like that. Uh, To to ask his servants to bring the signet ring, that signet ring was used when... uh, when impressed onto wax, it served like an American Express card, black. I mean, it was like the card. I, I just can't imagine my son's coming home, maybe having, you know, a little fender bender on my car and just running up to them and hugging them and kissing them and telling them how proud I am and pulling out my card and say, go back out, have some more fun. This guy's dialed. And yet Jesus is using this father as an example of how God responds to all of us when we're fed up, when we own up, and we offer up, and we come home. He is loving, and he has more resources than we've already squandered. I love that. He squandered as the second son. He squandered probably 30, 33% of the family inheritance. 
According to the law of primogeniture, the first son would have gotten 60 or 66% of the inheritance. This dad, he was smart. He's got extra funds set aside. He saw this day coming. He could continue to be generous with his son. That's how our God is. We mess up. Second chances are still within the fiscal year possibility. Second chances, new starts are still very much possible. Just because we've blown it doesn't mean it's, it's disabled or, or kept us from advancing and with more opportunities. This, son, this father's got the right, the right approach. Let's have a feast and celebrate, he says. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And I think the example here is that he was willing to, this son and his father were willing to lift up their praise. Have you caught the energy, the contagious energy of folks that are just chronically thankful and grateful? Do any of you have someone in your family? They're just always thankful. They're just always grateful. That's the kind of celebratory thankfulness that is here. When's the last time you just said, I want to thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for providing for my family. Thank you for the work you've given me. Thank you for our community. I just want to lift up my praise to you. That's the purpose for celebration, of being someone that can just praise the Lord. Rick Warren tells the author of this series, Rick Warren, tells the story of his psychologist and how he interfaced with a counselee who had been struggling with depression. Anytime someone came into his office that had struggled with depression, the counselor, Rick's friend, psychologist, would say to his counselee, hey, did you sing all the, all the songs during church last week? And typically, he said the person would say, no, I didn't feel like singing. And the, the counselor would say, here's your assignment for the next three weeks. I want you to sing all the songs, including all the verses of every song in church the next few weeks. And Rick was puzzled why, why he asked for this from his counselees. Only until recently, when the following Swedish research came out, did Rick finally get it. A global study came out done by Swedish researchers... They'd done a scientific study and concluded that the habit of singing, excuse me, the habit of a group not singing by yourself, the habit of group singing is good for your health. Sorry for those of you that are non-singers. It's great therapy to sing with other people. It's good for your mental health, emotional, social, physical, and all different areas. An extensive study. And they discovered that singing lowers people's blood pressure. It releases endorphins. It makes you feel good, improves your mood, builds your confidence, relieves the loneliness, releases negative emotions and stress, and creates positive emotions. Singing. Another study showed that people who sing in worship every week live longer. I've read other research on this. People who attend church regularly, people who uh, sing regularly in services, live longer. I got to tell you, I want to live longer. I'll take anything I get, even if I need to sing more and sing louder. Even if folks don't like my voice, I can tell them, hey, I'm living longer. You're not singing. You could, this could be your day. <laughs> so we begin our, our 
our journey on transformation. And the journey begins with your spiritual life. Uh, Next week, we talk about your physical health. Alleviating your stress by taking care of your body. My wife, Melissa, will be um, speaking next week on Mother's Day. Uh, If you're wanting to have a great Mother's Day, I encourage you to, fellas, get ready for it. Deliver the goods. And come here to services. I think you'll really enjoy hearing Melissa's words. Transformation starts with your spiritual life, though, not your physical life. Paul said that although physical discipline reaps some benefit, godliness has benefit in this life and in the life to come. And so I unapologetically ask you to answer the question, where is it in your spiritual life where you're fed up? What do you just can't stand anymore? Can't stand the fact that you've owned a Bible for years, but you don't pick it up. Can't do that anymore. Can't stand the fact that you're, you're not one to pray at all. You're too busy. Maybe never led your spouse in a prayer or one of your siblings in a prayer. Can't stand that no more. I'm not doing that. I'm going to start carving out 15 minutes every morning, five minutes of maybe some Christian music, five minutes of taking some time to say thank you, and five minutes of prayer. Can't stand it no more. Maybe this week you just memorized that verse. And maybe it's this week where you own up to something. You just come clean. You'll find that others, as well as your Heavenly Father, will greet you with warm compassion and forgiveness. You need to just own up to something. Own up, get it out of the way. Nothing like it. And maybe, maybe this week you decide you're going to reach out for a spiritual checkup. You're going to have someone in your life that you can just be honest to God with. Nothing like it. I have it. It's been fantastic for me. Thirdly, maybe you're going to offer up. You're going to say, God, hey, make me one of your hired servants. You're going to find more contentment in your work, in your marriage, with your income, by saying, God, make me one of your hired servants. servants. I'm willing to do whatever you ask. And then finally, maybe this week you're going to start to lift up. You're going to start to praise the Lord and thank Him for all the things that He's doing in your life. You're going to start to transform because God has a dream for you you've never imagined. Dream God's dream. Set some goals around it. It begins by saying, Jesus, make me. No longer give me. The only thing I need you to give me is your spirit of love, of discipline, of power, to be the person you want me to be. This week, if you've come and you're like, hey, I didn't get any of that. This week, here's what you get. Set a goal, a spiritual goal, that's measurable in the next three months. If you didn't get anything out of this morning, and you have one of these workbooks, start on your 49 devotions, starting tomorrow, day one. Start on them. If you didn't get anything today, leave and memorize that verse I referenced in 2 Corinthians that you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Write that down. Memorize it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,